Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Uh, my name is Veronica Metters, if you don't know me, and I'm the Women's Ministries Director here. And um, I want to invite you, first of all, I think I said this at the rally, but you ladies, I want you to come to Women's Retreat this year. Women's Retreat is January 12th, 13th, and 14th, and we go to Avila Beach. We have a phenomenal time together. So much is in the planning phase right now. I won't be able to answer a lot of questions, but know that you want to register, okay? So just start thinking about that. Start thinking about that deposit, and I hope that you'll see me Sunday to register for that. Also think about who you like to room with. Maybe you like to room with two people, three people. Just know that the more people in the room, the less the cost, and it's always a party when you have, you know, six women in a room. All right, so um, let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts this evening, Lord, to receive whatever you have from us. Lord, I I pray that you would just use me to speak um, clarity of your word, Lord, to give instruction, Lord, to encourage, to build up your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we are looking at the book of Acts tonight. Acts 15 is where I will start, and I know I have some verses for you, so I'm just going to get right into it, and we are looking at chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So stop right there. So these were Jewish teachers that we're talking about when it says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. And they would have been called Judaizers because they were Jews that had become Christians. So um, they they were going and teaching this message. Unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved, basically, to the Gentiles. And so they were saying that without becoming Jewish first, then you weren't saved. So basically... They were putting a a law in there in place. And they were telling Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, basically, you've been doing it wrong, so let us help you do it right. And there became a a doctrinal type of a, a battle here, a war. And there was some conflict over this idea of circumcision. So Barnabas and Paul, they were sent to Jerusalem to talk with the elders and the apostles there. And we see that um, two leaders are confronting this. So that's really brave of them. They say, wait, wait, wait. We see something that we think is not truth. And they confront it. That's, that's great. I'm pointing that out because that's what we should do. If we see something that there's an error in what someone is saying, we should consider what they're saying. But then look at scripture. What does scripture say? So this was a matter of core value of biblical truth, and they're willing to go to discuss this. This was not an issue of, we're just going to agree to disagree. That, that couldn't be had here in this case. This was doctrinal truth here. 
So in verse 5, we're going to pick up there. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, oh, so they travel. I forgot to say that. They travel and they get there. They're telling about all the things that they have done. Everyone was glad. They're, you know, whoa, good job. And then some of the believers, when they got there, that belonged to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So once again, we hear them saying the same thing there. And the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. So exactly what they had gone there for, they're meeting together to discuss it. So it wasn't really a discussion over can Gentiles be saved. It's more of a discussion of how can they become saved. And um, Gentiles, so basically the the Jews believed Gentiles were free. So Gentiles are those that aren't Jew. They're free to come to Jesus, and we welcome them to come to Jesus, but they have to come, come through the law of Moses. That's what they were saying in order to come to Jesus. Well, Paul and Barnabas, among others, have allowed Gentiles to come to Jesus without that. So this is where the dispute is happening. And where would Paul and Barnabas even think like to stick up for that? Where would they get that idea that it's okay for people to come straight to Jesus? Well, there's a scripture in Exodus, and perhaps they knew this. And um, it's Exodus 12. You can write this down. I don't have it up there. Exodus 12, 48 and 49. And... It says that, and when the stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord and let all, his, uh, let all his males be circumcised and let them come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. No one shall be for the native born or for the stranger or, or who dwells among you. So... They may have been referencing this Old Testament law, right? But we're going to continue on and see a different verse that points the other way. So um, let's see. We have, picking up at verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So here's Peter speaking up. He's saying, they've heard me. We have heard this message before. It says, God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So he's pointing out they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So here is Paul and Barnabas and now Peter speaking up against what the Pharisees were teaching. And it continues on. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. So what is he referring to here? Let's back up just a little bit. So he reminds them, God sees the heart. They're saved by faith through grace, and God purifies uh, they're purified by their faith. And the yoke that he's referring to here is that the yokes of the ancestors that they couldn't bear, what would that be? The, the law, right? They couldn't, they couldn't keep it. They, they, were, they were always in error. They tried many times, but they couldn't even keep that law. So he's saying we couldn't keep it, nor our ancestors could keep this. And now we're trying to put it on the, on the heads of Gentiles trying to become Christians, 
Yet they were attempting to put the Gentiles under this law regardless. And law, we know the law couldn't save them. And, and so that's what Peter's pointing out. And he says, why do you test God? Hmm. So from my understanding, when he says this, he's saying, God's offended that you have tried to make another way of salvation besides Jesus. So don't test God. So verse 12, let's continue on. The whole assembly became silent. I wonder what that silence was like. Was it like, you know, just they were silent. Were they thinking? So the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So they begin to tell the testimonies of how God has been moving among the Gentiles and how God has received the Gentiles, and so should the church. And so this immense doctrinal decision here is being contemplated. So they're thinking, are Christians made right by God, by faith alone, or is it a combination? Do they have to come through the law first, the law of Moses, and then get, they can get saved? So they keep going over this and, and discussing it. But then James speaks up. So this is verse 13. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, who is Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. So he's gonna, he's, um, James is going to quote something here from the Old Testament. Again, they're referring back to the Old Testament. So at first, they used the Old Testament to say that they had to be circumcised. And now they're using the Old Testament to say, wait a minute, there's, there's something here. It says, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins, and I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. That's the key sentence right there. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name. It doesn't say all the Jews that bear my name. It's all the Gentiles that bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should, make, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So first of all, I, I want to distinguish who this James is that's speaking right here. James, not the apostle. This is because he had been martyred. Mr. Mudrow, I believe, yes, spoke on chapter 12, some 12 and 13. No, who spoke on chapter 12? Um, but back, anyways, it was before that one. In chapter 12, um, he was martyred. So it, it's not that one. This is James the Just, half-brother of Jesus, author of the book of James. So James reminds them both that the Jews and Gentiles have already been part of God's plan from a long time ago. And for us today, it's easy to digest. Yeah, we accept it right away. The, the Jews can receive Jesus and be saved. They, all they have to do is believe and accept that. Um, Christians can, uh, Jews can do that. Gentiles can do that. Everyone can do that. It's for all. But for them they had a hard time accepting that because that wasn't that was brand new information for them so the the prophet that he quotes in that verse is from the book of Amos 
chapter 9, verses 11 and 11 through 12. So it, it says, if you wanted to refer back to that, it's from the book of Amos. And it says in there that, On that day I will rise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will rise, raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. So he's t- right there he's quoting that verse, that the Gentiles who are called by my name, they are his too. Verse 20. So here is his suggestion, or it's more than a suggestion, but let's listen. Verse 20. Instead, we should write to them. So he's saying this is, we shouldn't make them get circumcised, then become, you know, then they can come to the faith. No, he's saying instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So he says, this is, this is what we are, these are our guidelines. I know we're coming from two different cultures here, but let's, let's narrow it down to this. So he delivers this resolution. And um, he's basically saying, Peter, Barnabas, Paul, you were all right. And let's make this right. We're going to go and send this letter. So he gave them this, this instruction to abstain from certain things. And the idea was not was that it was important that Gentiles believe believers did not act in a way that would offend the Jewish community and destroy the church's witnesses um, witness among the Jews. Let me say that again. Why did they say these four things? It was so that they could that the Gentile believers did not act in a way that would offend the Jewish community and destroy the church's witness among the Jews. So those were the reasons for the four. Now, James gives these four instructions. And I, when I put them together, I kind of think, you know, that old Sesame Street little thing that had four pictures and one kind of doesn't belong. You know, which one of these doesn't belong? And, and, okay, so abstaining from food, sacrifice to idols, not the meat of strangled animals and animal blood. So, so there's kind of like a, a trend right there. It's, it's, but then there's sexual immorality, which... In our church, we would be like, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't do that, right? So it, it kind of it is a little bit off. And, but then I had to figure out why is that an instruction there. And according to everything I have studied, um, abstaining from sexual immorality had to do with marrying within the family. Because... Okay, abstaining from food, sacrifice to idols was um, something that maybe the Gentiles would have done, but the Jews would not have. Um, Meat from strangled animals, Gentiles might have done it, but the Jews would not have. Animal blood, something there, the Gentiles might have done, but the Jews wouldn't have. Sexual immorality was one thing that they both agreed on. They both knew that that was wrong. But the part where it comes to sexual immorality within the family was something that they that was different. Uh, the Gentiles didn't have that um, that that you know you can't do this and marry within the family. But the Genti- um, so the Gentiles they didn't see anything wrong with that. But the Jews they saw something wrong with that. So they brought that up so that everyone knew. Okay, you're not going to do these things so that you don't offend the other. So the council's decision is sent 
in a letter with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. So this, this, these four things of what they must do so that they don't offend the Jewish community. So verse 22, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they chose Judas and Silas, who were uh, men who were leaders among the believers. So they send this letter. And, and from verses 23 through 29, it's basically the letter. This is what they sent. It says, the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization to disturb you, troubling your minds by what they said. Does that sound like an apology? Yeah, it does. I'm sorry. They came. They troubled you. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirement. You're, then he gives them the four. You're to abstain from um, food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So they get this letter, and um, they upheld what they had been hoping. You know, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas must have been really excited to go deliver this letter with them and ready to, to go about their business. And um, as they continue on, there's some verses um, from 35, from verses 30 to 35. I didn't have them on the screen, but it basically just highlights their ministry as they continue on after this. After they go and they get this cleared up with the council, they can go on in ministry. So the men went off and they went down to Antioch and they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. It says the people read it and were glad and for its encouraging message. And um, there was Judas and Silas who were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And then after they spent some time there, then they went off. Um, and they were blessed, and they blessings of peace, and they said, return back to us. So they, they have like a blessing, like, thank you for delivering this, and then carry on. And um, But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word. So they stayed there for a little while. But the but the brethren was strengthened in this time. The church was strengthened, and God continued to go forth during this time. And then we see a struggle. When I, when I read verse, or chapters 15 and 16, I see um, trouble, then unity, then trouble, then unity. It kind of goes back and forth through these, these chapters. So verse 36 is where I'm picking up. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So we have to imagine that some time has passed. I'm not sure the amount of time, but thinking about how when they travel, it may have taken days, weeks, months to go from place to place, sometimes maybe even years. So some time later, they say, let's go back. Barnabas wanted to take John, 
So this is where the disagreement happens. Another uh-oh moment. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, this is verse 39, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see like a disagreement and then boom, they're gone to different places. But I want to talk about that a little bit here. We're left wondering what happened here. What happened to cause this split? And you might have heard me say at the very beginning, you know, uh, agree to disagree. Well, this was one of those moments where they must have had those agree to disagree moments and they just couldn't maybe work alongside each other for some differences, personal probably. But I feel like I have seen people argue that this kind of split is okay. But maybe if we consider that it's a sharp disagreement here, that possibly one or both were not in alignment with what they should be doing according to the will. Hmm. If there's a sharp disagreement, something isn't right. One or both. So there wasn't like a peaceful, I, you know, great job, you're going off to do this. It was a sharp disagreement and that happened. And we have to acknowledge that that happened. So they, um, there was a split here. But what did I take away from this? There's no doubt that God used this, this split here, this division. God can use it, even if there's a split. And we're going to see how God uses it anyways. But even when this happens where there's a sharp disagreement, it can never be casually used as an excuse for carnal division. Flesh. So I can't let that be my reason for um, letting it be okay because God's going to use it anyways, right? Even though I had a sharp disagreement and I go off and I do something and God uses it anyways, well, that's praise to God, but that's bad on my part if I was part of that, if I didn't do something to help that sharp disagreement. So, as Christians, we should resolve these conflicts, right? In these relationships. In Matthew 5.23, I have a verse for you, but it's not on the screen. Matthew 5.23, it says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So that's just affirmation that the sharp disagreement shouldn't happen. We should make that resolution first. So eventually, I want to highlight, though, Paul did get to some kind of resolution. It's um, with, with John Mark, because in 2 Timothy um, Chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, he, he gives him a compliment here. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So at some point, there is reconciliation. God can use it. 
All right, so continuing on, Acts chapter 16, and we're picking up where um, they're going to continue their travel here. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. Hmm. So first I want to point out the places. Go back to verse 1. Derby, Listeria. He was eager to go and see how they were doing. Now, if you remember back in last week, 14 and 15, this is where they were stoned. And he wants to go back and check up on them. I don't know if I got stoned in a place I'd be eager to go back and check up on them. But um, he's like, he cares about the people. And he cares about his church. So he wants to go back and check up on them. And Tim, um, so Paul is aware of Timothy, so he picks him up there, and he joins them along their travel. So verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, meaning Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Okay, at this point, I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't we just have this debate over not having to be circumcised? Okay, well, it's, at first I was like, let's figure this out because it's not quite clear to me. Why would he do that? And we know that salvation comes by faith through grace. And Paul knows that. So why would Paul arrange for Timothy to be circumcised? And it says it there, but let's consider this. Let me turn my page here. Paul knows that it's not necessary for salvation, but he knew that they were going to be going into Jewish predominantly areas, and that if Timothy is half Jew, he would expect it to follow the law. So, Timothy's status as a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mother would, he didn't want it to hinder their work in the synagogues. So he made the appeal, um, he wanted to appeal to the Jewish people, those that were, they were converting. Now, there, there is another scripture in Titus where um, Paul, he refuses to let Titus get circumcised. And it it just drives home the point. Titus was a Gentile. So he said he doesn't need to because he's saved by faith through grace. But we're looking at a different scenario here. Um, This is Timothy who was half Jewish and he knew the expectation if they wanted to go into the synagogues and, and convert. So he would have to, if he didn't, he would be considered an apostate Jew, apostasy. So which they wouldn't have any respect there. And so, um, according to the Blue Letter Bible also, which I did some research in, the wording here implies that Paul performed the procedure when it says that, um, you know, he didn't just take him to somebody. So, verses 4 through 5. 
as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So they're taking this wonderful message out. They're continuing to tell the people, you need to obey here, um, for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Continuing on, they're going um, to Macedonia now, but there's... There's a God intervened here in a big way. So verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from the preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of um, Mysia, They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. A couple of interesting things here. The Holy Spirit forbade Paul to do something that we would normally think is good. Preaching God's word. He stopped him from going to these areas. No, don't go. Doors were shut. Yet the Spirit of God, he directed him in a different path. And it's God's timing. It's, it's relying on the Holy Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit. But they were led to a completely different continent. They had been in Asia this whole time. And now they're going over to Europe. So this is a big transition. And eventually they did, they did go back to where God had stopped them in the first place, Ephesus, the seven churches. They do go, he does go back. But for now, they needed to take care of something else. So Paul follows the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And they go to this other continent. They go to Europe to win a nation. And it's, I don't know if you caught it when I was reading it, but everything is they, they, they. Him, his, and then we get to we. Did you hear that in verse 10? After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. So I, it just sound, it, it caught my, my, my auditory pickup right away. Like, wait, what happened there? It just changed all of a sudden. And um, that's because, most likely, the author joined with them. And the author of Acts is Luke. Did you know that, if you count words, Luke has contributed to most of the New Testament? 27 point something percent. So Luke joins them, and um, he, he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which those two books are fairly lengthy, and so that makes up word count, not book counting books, word count, the majority of the New Testament. And just think about if Paul hadn't listened to the Holy Spirit, right? So all of these things about listening to the Holy Spirit. And God closed those doors. God opened those doors. Let's continue on. Verse 13, as they're traveling, 
they meet someone. So on the Sabbath, we, once again, we hear the, the pronoun we, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatria, Thyatira, <laughs> named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded them. So interesting that they were at a river having church, basically. And um, while I was doing some research here, it says that in order for them to have a a place like um, a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 men to constitute having a synagogue. So they must not have even had 10 men. They didn't count the women. So they were at a river and they were, they were, they were worshiping. They were, they were together. And then, um, Lydia here, it says that she's wealthy. She, she has purple dyes. Purple dyes means that she has wealth and God had opened her heart. So when I came up here tonight and I prayed, God open our hearts to receive, that was intentional. Because we can pray that when we go out in ministry as well. When we are going to talk to someone about Jesus, you can say that prayer beforehand to God open their heart to receive you. And that's, God had opened her heart and she received him. And immediately, I love that she's just so hospitable. She's like, come, come. If you consider me a believer, come to my house. Come. And um, she, they, they go. So we're going to continue on. Um, verse 16. Actually, um, yeah, 16. So once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave. So they're on this journey. They met, they're met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept saying this for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So this demon-possessed girl, they didn't, her boss didn't care about her one bit, but we're going to see what happens to her. So this is an evil practice, as you can tell. And Um, she's shouting. She's basically telling everyone, it's like free endorsement right here. These people are telling you how to get saved and, and how to be servants of the most high God. She's, she's just endorsing him, but it's enough after several days. Paul didn't want that anymore. Commands the spirit to leave. And it does at once. Verse 19, when her owners, owners realized this, that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. Uh-oh, that's what they think. And are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowds joined in attack against Paul and Silas. It says that they were beaten with rods. They were flogged. They were thrown into prison. They were, um, when they received these orders, um, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they're thrown into jail. And they say these men are Jews. 
Now, we have to remember who we're talking about here, right? One is half Jew, half Roman, or Gentile, and the other is um, Roman. So, okay, so let's see what happens to them. Um, and In the Roman Empire, there were laws just for the Romans, and then there were laws for the others. It was like, rules for thee, but not for me kind of a deal here, right? They had different rules. And then the feet and the socks, when they have to, stocks, when they had to go into prison, it's just, it was barbaric. They were in an inner cell, meaning, you know, they were locked with top security. And then, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake, and the foundation of the prison were shaking. At once, the doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. A miracle. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He had brought them out and asked, sires, what must I do to be saved? Nothing stopped Paul and Silas from praising God. They were praising God. In such terrible circumstances, they were praising God. And that's for us today, too. We might be in a terrible circumstance, but our praise to God cannot be determined by our circumstance. So the earthquake, it's just not your typical shaken of the room. Doors flew open. This is clearly a natural, supernatural event happening here. It's God-ordained. And the guard knew what was going to happen to him if these guys got out. It would be his life that would have to pay the penalty of these men. That was the deal. So they could have jailbreak, right? Paul and Silas could have been gone, but they stayed. And this is a, a, a major point to me, but it was because that they saw the, life's gar- the, the, the guard's life as more valuable than their freedom. They saw someone's life more valuable than their own freedom, and they stayed. They remained. Well, the guard asked, what must I do to, to be saved? It's a good thing it wasn't, you must become circumcised, right? No. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and you and your household. That's prophetic right there, right? He's, he's, he's speaking prophecy right there. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And immediately he and his whole household were baptized. He set a meal before them and they were filled with joy. So it, he took them to the family. They were all received um, Jesus And they were baptized at midnight. Isn't that interesting? And I love it that similar to Lydia, there's hospitality offered. Possibly the same guard that had beat these men or part of the beating of these men in prison. He is now washing them and caring for their wounds. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release the men, release the men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now go, leave, go in peace. But Paul says back, they beat us publicly without trial. 
even though we are Roman citizens, oh, he finally, they finally let that little tidbit of information out, right? Um, and they threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? Nah, let them come themselves and escort us out. So it's like, oopsies. The, gar- the, the magistrates are hoping, let's just sweep this under the rug, very politically. Let's just get it out of the way. You guys go back to where you came from. Sorry, we didn't know that you were actually Romans. The officers reported to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, and they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with their brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. So a point that we cannot miss is love must be our motivator. When we put love above personal rights, above our own personal circumstances, God blesses that. In addition, we must seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We may have closed doors right in front of us and feel disappointed, but God has the best plan. And we see that here in this scripture. God ordained their steps, even though they were disappointed. What? We're not going to go into ministry over there? What? We're stuck in jail? What? You know, all these things came against them. But God's timing is the best timing. And lastly, pray and praise. God opened hearts and does the miraculous. And we must pray for that. In all, we must give God praise. Praise him when it's difficult. Praise him when we're unsure. And even when it seems like we are in the inner cell with our feet in a stalk, we can praise him anyway. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us scripture that we could learn from. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal things to us as we, as we come to an understanding of your word, Lord. Lord, give us wisdom as we open um, your Bible and, and as we study scripture. Lord, that we would have clarity in our mind. And Lord, may it go deep in our heart, Lord, that what we read is, is not just for right now, but it's for, it's for now and it's for tomorrow and it's for our future, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for tonight, and, and I pray that you would bless everyone here as we go in our ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, Check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.